You just nailed it because uh, I think that the point is they skip right to the ROI question right. without first asking the question of what role do we want this podcast to have in our business? And what role do we want it to have in the lives of its listenership? You may find that you're measuring the exact wrong thing if based on what the answer is. That's Megan Keeney Anderson, Vice President of Marketing at HubSpot. She's also the host of HubSpot's premier podcast, The Growth Show. On this episode, we sit down and talk with Megan about ROI and why it may not be the most important thing when you're starting a podcast, why taking your show international can be a really good strategic move, and how a company like HubSpot is always thinking about experimenting. Welcome to Lights, Camera, Grow. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Lights, Camera, Grow podcast. My name's Jared. I'm sitting here today with Andrew, and we have a very special guest. We have Megan Keeney Anderson on today. Megan is the vice president of marketing at HubSpot, and she's also the host of the ever-popular show, The Growth Show, HubSpot's main podcast. Welcome to the show, Megan. Thank you. You also have my dog in the background, which is a awful side effect of working from home, but, um, but yeah, he's... Imagine a cute puppy. Um, so Megan, uh, could you give us a little backstory about kind of how you got to today? And then obviously we're going to talk all things podcast uh, past that. Yeah, sure. So yeah, so I'm currently vice president of marketing at HubSpot. Um, I oversee um, a lot of our like brand editorial work, um, but also product marketing and HubSpot Academy, which is this really cool um, educational arm where we put out free classes and uh, have tutorials and, uh, certifications and things like that. Um, I have been at HubSpot for about 10 years coming up in my 10th year, which is wild. Never expected to be here that long, but, um, the company has really evolved over the last decade. And so I feel in many ways, like I've worked at three or four different companies in that time. Um, before HubSpot, I was at a tech startup called Performable, um, which HubSpot acquired and was a solo marketer there. And before that, I was actually in the nonprofit space. I was a copywriter for United Way, um, and that kind of evolved into all things digital marketer for United Way. Let's go ahead and dive into how did how did you get started in podcasting? Sure. And I don't know if that started before HubSpot or that evolved through HubSpot. No, it started at HubSpot. I was only a listener before then. Um, and we started the show um, fairly early for B2B uh, software companies uh, in terms of starting up a show. Um, and the CMO at the time, Mike Volpe, um, had really floated the idea as a way to try to reach a new audience for us. So um, we have a really wildly successful um, blog at HubSpot, and it's filled with all sorts of like tips on marketing strategy and growth. Um, but it's largely geared towards a um, kind of mid-level uh, marketer, someone who's trying to improve their own skills. What we were missing was something that would speak to executives and people in leadership decision-making roles. And so our theory with the first podcast, which was The Growth Show, and we've since then added others on, was could this be a vehicle for us to reach executives who otherwise, they're not reading blogs, they've got no time to, they're not opening our newsletters, they've got no time to, but we do know that they, at least at that point, had a commute um, from home to work, and they were probably, many of them were, were increasingly listening to podcasts. And so that was the theory we were going after. 
And then we just learned so much about the podcasting space since then. Curious uh, question, Megan. So um, as you identified kind of a, a segment of folks that you want to, you know, build this podcast around, right? Um, as you were trying to prove out that hypothesis, um, how were you measuring that? What kind of success metrics were you looking at to say, hey, these executives are actually engaging with this podcast? Um, how how did you think about that? Did you think about that as you were planning it out and building the strategy or that kind of became clear as you kind of moved along? Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, there's two things that are tough about podcasting, as you all know from your own shows, I'm sure, analytics and discoverability, right? And so analytics were tough because they just, it it reminded me very much like the early days of social media (laughs) when, you know, everybody jumped in, they were doing it, but they didn't really know how to measure it. You couldn't, there wasn't the technology to connect, you know, uh, an interaction with a tweet all the way back to a purchase on your website. Today there is. Uh, And I think that we'll go through a similar evolution with podcasting where the analytics will get better and better over time and, and new entrants will help us sort of measure the effect of a podcast. But in the early days, and really, you know, we've added some metrics to the mix, but we were looking at things like we're looking at download numbers. We were looking at listener numbers. We were looking at um, subscribers. uh, We were doing individual surveys um, to our listener base to try to understand who they were. Um, So occasionally on a show, we would try to get people to to help help us out and send us some demographic information about like what world they have you know, where they are in the, in the country yep. and world. Um, and I think that it's interesting because podcast audiences are awesome. Like they, they really do want to support the podcast that they listen to. So they use promo codes when they go to buy, they, yep. they will fill out surveys for you at a much higher rate than if you ask for a survey on social media or on your blog, for example, there's a loyalty, I think between podcasts, posts and, and their, um, their listeners that really does help you kind of fill in the gaps. It's not perfect. Uh, and you have to do some guesswork, right. To, to really understand, um, is this working or not? Yeah. And the reason I ask is because, um, a lot of times when we're speaking to clients who are exploring the idea of producing a podcast, a, a brand podcast, right. Um, the ROI question always comes up. Right. How am I going to prove ROI on this? And, um, that's actually something that I struggle with a little bit in talking to our clients because I see, I sort of see podcasting as a very top of funnel, uh, sort of medium. Right. Um, and to get and to, to basically, you know, bring people into, and find that audience you're trying to bring into the fold at the top of the funnel and then use whether they're calls to actions in the show notes or a blog post from the show notes to get them somehow further down the funnel, whether that's some kind of email conversion down the road or retargeting or something down the road, right? Um, But I think a lot of times when people are trying to think about a podcast, they're trying to go straight to what's the ROI on this thing. And I think that's tricky right now with, as analytics have gotten better, right? um, We have a little bit more ability to kind of see like where they got in and maybe what they might have engaged with first, but that's still kind of a little bit of a, I think a murky measurement, if you would, when it comes to like measuring ROI on podcast. And I think you, you just nailed it because uh, I think that the point is they skip right to the ROI question right. without first asking the question of what role do we want this podcast to have in our business yeah. and what role do we want it to have in the lives of its listenership? Um, and 
you may find that that you're measuring the exact wrong thing if based on what that answer is. Um, or worst case, if you don't even have an answer to that and you're just getting in as a checkbox because your competitor got into podcasting, um, you, you'll have to go through a lot of machinations to try to figure out whether that's well, whether it's actually filling the need if you don't know what the need is. So I think there's a lot of different needs that a podcast can fill. There's certainly the, the most obvious one is distribution, right? Is to grow a listenership. Um, but even that where it was like, it doesn't necessarily have to be all about numbers. It could be about access to an audience you previously didn't get, which was the case with the growth show. We actually didn't care. Look, we always care about growth and numbers, but we didn't care as much about that as we did about the composition of that audience. Right. If we had had, if our research had shown us that like the podcast was growing, but it was growing with the same people who are getting over on the blog, that would, would have been a little disappointing for us. So I think um, numbers is one audience you couldn't reach otherwise is another. And then there are also just really good qualitative things that a podcast brings. So for example, I, the guests, the access to the guests that I can get through a podcast that I couldn't otherwise get um, on our blog or, or to create content with us uh, has been phenomenal. I mean, we've had guests from like, um, you know, from Patagonia and from, I'm just doing a quick look at our, our list, Jonah Peretti from Buzzfeed, Julie Zhu from Facebook, Kristen Kish from Top Chef, like guests that will come on for free that we couldn't have otherwise gotten um, because they want access to the audience that we have. And then from those guests, you can build relationships, you can create new content, you can um, leverage that, that interview in other ways. And that's a distinct use case. So I would just say, to kind of wrap up my point, it, I would say that you really have to know why you're getting into this thing before you know how to measure the ROI. 100%. And it's funny that you bring up the guest aspect yeah. of interviewing. So another interesting use case. So we we partner with a lot of other HubSpot agencies to produce media for them. And when COVID came around... Um, everyone was kind of thinking like, how am I going to switch up my marketing? How do I switch up my sales? And we actually started working with HubSpot agencies that have their own inside sales team. And they actually used, it's not a podcast, but it's more of like a video interview series, right? Um, they use that as a business development tool. So like, hey, we're out trying to court this prospect. Um, you know, Maybe we don't want to send the typical sales sequence emails or whatever to try and get them to engage, but we'll reach out to them and say, hey, we really love your viewpoint you know, on this particular thing in our vertical. Can you be a guest in our podcast or, our, or in this interview series to come talk about it? And they're using it as a way to basically warm up that prospect to eventually do B2B sales to them, right? Um, so it's, it's, I think we think about podcasting a lot as a, a marketing tactic, but I think the content that gets produced from a podcast can also be leveraged for sales outreach as well, right? Yeah. So there's a, there's a whole bunch of use cases that I think, um, to your point, like, unless you really know why you're getting into this thing, um, it's kind of hard to measure the ROI, right? So I think that's fair. Yeah, I certainly had that happen to me, by the way, where like, someone has invited me onto a podcast, and it's a flattering thing. Like, I, yeah. I, you know, it's, it's fun to be part of this is like a fun way to spend an hour is to talk to somebody totally. in, this, in this format. And that starts a relationship. And then yeah, down the line, like, maybe they sell me some software. Um, yeah. But that's, 
it, it is a really unique way to get access to people. And I think on the listener side, one of the most compelling things about a podcast is when you look at the, not just the listen rate, but then how long they listen. Yep. Most people listen to podcasts all the way through. They're not stopping in the middle. There's not this behavior that you see on like Facebook video or YouTube video where they yep. take a quick scan and then move on. They're in there. And so you're getting like, how do you put the, pre- put a price on the cost of 30 minutes? You're of in their ear. Yeah. Yeah. You're literally in totally their ear. <laughs> yeah. No distraction. It's like you and their running routine. And yep. so I think that's, when people don't get the ROI, I think they are discounting or missing the point on that concentrated amount of time. Yeah. Um, if you don't, I, I no, want to circle yeah, back yeah, really quick. Um, so I think one challenge that I've seen in brands starting podcasts is getting like executive sponsorship or, you know, the marketing manager or the marketing director is like, you know, this medium is just blowing up right now. I, I listen to all these different B2B or even more B2C type branded podcasts. Um, you know, what were some of your challenges? And it sounded like you got some executive sponsorship, obviously, from the top, and that was an idea there. But, you know, in in building out the idea of a podcast and this new concept of a new content format within a pretty large organization, like what kind of challenges did you face um, when trying to get the growth show off the ground? You know, it's it's... It's interesting because it is both, it's like, it's both approachable in terms of cost to do it. And it's, it's free like a puppy too, you know, like it's, it's really low cost to get started on it. Um, you, you should invest in some mics, you should, um, invest in potentially some software to, to, to run it hosting, but those costs are pretty minimal. So it's primed for, experiments, right? So the way that we approach anything that is hard or, or scary for the company, and luckily you're right, HubSpot has been, is very adventurous when it comes to different formats, but um, we always position it as an experiment first, where it's just like, look, here's the audience we're trying to reach with this. If we can prove out that we can reach this audience within the first season, we will keep going. If we can't, we're going to call it an experiment and we're going to walk away. And the total cost for that experiment will be X. Yep. Um, and I think that, you know, pulling down the size, the leap that you have to take to get into podcasting um, and making it more of a micro decision, I think is really helpful. And actually you can start off with things like, you know, social video, yep. Um you, you could start off with, hey, we're just going to do some explainer videos on YouTube. And if those are popular or if we see growth there, then we're going to lean into what's working there and we're going to spin that into a video podcast. We're going to spin that into something else. Um, so I, that's what I would say is just break down big, scary things into much more palatable um, projects with really clear objectives. Um, and then after that, it's way easier to launch new podcasts because that first hurdle is down. Yeah. So that, that's actually a perfect segue. Um, how should businesses start to think about podcasting and video series content? A lot of businesses in the small business business realm or the B2B realm often think of themselves as not podcast savvy or prime for that type of marketing or content in general. Um, and we have a philosophy where we think that everybody can actually have 
these pieces of rich media at their disposal if they just think about it in the right context. So how should businesses kind of like approach it and think about it so that they don't feel like, oh, I have to be Joe Rogan or I have to be Patagonia. We're not sexy like those. Yeah, I think it's really important to know what your niche is and know what your unique qualities are because the podcast space is getting crowded too. There's only so many half hour interview shows you can listen to in the span of a week. And so if you're looking out at the horizon and you're seeing, um, you know, five or six pre-existing shows are going to look exactly the same as the show that you're about to launch, I would actually take a beat and question whether we should launch that. Um, but if you can look out and say, Hey, there's space here for taking this topic and, um, and, angling it for this audience or there's space for this topic handled in a different storytelling way. Um, I think that's really important because again, distribution is top here. Um, and you want to be able to bring something new to the space. I guess that's a good question about distribution. Um, how do you, how do you tackle distribution for, I guess the growth show specifically? Yeah. Um, so there's, it's, it's a game of many, many different rivers, right? So, um, we do, um, we do social promotion. We have, um, we put at work into optimizing the podcast, not only for, um, iTunes or Apple podcasts, but also for Spotify and other, um, other listening vehicles. So, and that's, sorry to interrupt. And so that's how you can get organically found within Apple podcasts and Spotify and all the various podcast platforms, right? Yes. Yeah. So thinking about things like, you know, how do we, the biggest driver for distribution in, uh, in Apple podcasts is their ranking lists, right? So you can, you should know before you launch which category of lists within Apple Podcasts am I going after? Am I going after the marketing category? Am I going after the business category? And if so, like who, who's in there? Um, am I going after uh, North American list, listenership or LATAM? Um, you should target who you're going after and try to get into a... doesn't need to be like a top 10 list, uh, but try to get into like fastest growing or, um, or like on trend or on, um, like increased listenership. And and the ways you can do that is when you go first, go to launch, don't just release one episode, release like three episodes to begin with. Um, make sure you drive all of your existing advocates and customers and employees to leave comments and to, uh, to leave reviews, sorry, and to subscribe and to share it, try to get a high intensity of activity around the podcast when you first launch. That's Apple. That is a tough nut to crack. Yeah. Spotify is a lot easier. Spotify actually has um, discovery algorithms within it. And um, you can try to um, get found through like similar shows um, on Spotify. Uh, and I think that there's, there's some value, I think, outside of those platforms in uh, partnerships. So if you've got... Um, if you've got a podcast and you're somebody who's in like an adjacent space, but is friendly with your company has a podcast, maybe they, you guys do a, a switch where they interview you, you interview them, you try to borrow off each other's audiences. You could also a deeper version of that 
is literally to try to get like an episode released in their feed if you have a really strong partnership. Um, so I think that's a nice way. Newsletters, um, podcast advertising is actually, um, we've seen some, some good success with it. Um, so it, it's really like, what don't you do? It's, it's a slog to get discovered. Um, so I would use every channel available to you and I would repackage your content. So have the interview, then turn that into a blog post, then turn that into social posts, then incorporate that content into your customer newsletters going out. Um, I think you have to think about all things. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring that up. This is actually, so this, you know, we, at, you know, with HubSpot, everyone's subscribed to this idea of pillar content, right? When you're building a pillar page for SEO, you've got topic clusters and all the blog posts that roll up under those topic clusters. And so we know when Jared and I were thinking through like, hey, how do we kind of bring like another dimension to podcasting? We realized that the video element was a missing element of it. And what we mean by that is like there's, you know, if you have audio only, you can optimize quote unquote, optimize for search on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and you'll get found there, right? But we all know that YouTube is the second largest search engine in the world, right? And so what Jared kind of came up with was thinking through how do we apply this pillar content strategy to a video podcast? And so what we decided to do was basically use the video podcast, essentially what we're recording right now, right, as the pillar content. And then our post-production process, essentially, we we force ourselves to find 10 to 15 different clips, hot takes, whatever from the episode that can be leveraged for social. We've actually even used it in sales outreach, where we'll upload some of those videos to Wistia or Vidyard and try and track engagement from an outbound sales email to a cold contact, right? Um, well, and then we actually have a YouTube strategist whose entire job is to find keyword opportunities on YouTube that so we can name our clips, our descriptions, the meta, everything in YouTube so that when we upload these 10 to 15 clips over a month, we're not only one uploading consistent content to YouTube at least twice a week, but that content is also SEO'd for YouTube. And what we're kind of betting on right now, and I'm not quite willing to bet the agency on this yet, <laughs> but I have a feeling that Google search will start to show video results in line in Google search, uh, I would think in the next couple of years, um, as that as video content just becomes more and more and more popular, and you saw Facebook do that with the newsfeed, right? Where they're prioritizing paid ads, they were pri prioritizing organic search or excuse me, organic posts in video, and so I I think you know kind of you going back to what you said earlier, which was you know podcasting is kind of where blogging was and social media was, I subscribe to the same theory that where podcasting is today, it's kind of where blogging was in the early 2000s and social was in the 2010s. Can't measure it that well. We know that it attracts audiences and whatnot. We know it's an important content format. Um, but we actually think that mixing video in with the audio aspect of a podcast just exponentially increases the amount of content you can create, but also allows you to distribute on channels that you wouldn't be able to distribute yep. if it was audio only. So I, 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 that's kind of a trend that I sort of see. And I'm just curious to see your take or hear your take on that. 
Yeah, no, I think it's incredibly smart. I mean, I, I think that I hadn't actually ever heard it explained like that, like a pillar strategy, but yeah. I, I think that all of the right indications are there, right? Google is getting into podcasting through the front door of video. Right. Right. So we, it, it's funny, we, um, we launched a second podcast called Skill Up, which was our experiment to try to crack organic search for podcasts. Because we had heard similar things that Google was going to start transcribing podcasts and they'd start showing up in search results. And so we created a how-to show um, that's basically based off of search insights about what people are searching for given topics. Um, and we had we learned a bunch of stuff from that. We First, we had some success at um, uh, you know getting it to surface in search. But more than that, we had more success at... Um, understanding that like the different formats that Google is prioritizing in this, they all have a video aspect to it. So now we have um, not under the not under the guise of scale up, but we've got a bunch of how-to videos on our YouTube page that we're trying to, in a very similar way, kind of get into search cool. engine results that way. But I think that the combination of thinking about that as a flow strategy is really interesting. Yeah, it's like we spend so much time creating like written content, lead magnets and things like that and pillar pages. And why not apply that same strategy to video? Because video is tough to produce, right? It can be, it can be, it takes, there's a, there's a, there's a bear, there's a little bit of, there's a lift that you have to do to get it done, right? And I think if you're going to create video and our approach as kind of a, a media focused HubSpot agency is we don't just want to go and create like an about us video for you or a culture video. Cause you know, that's a one-time video. It's going to live on your website forever. <laughs> that's a, essentially what ends up happening, no matter how much your company has changed. And video has to be like a living, breathing thing that's constantly updated, you know? And so the, the pitch we usually give to our clients is, Hey, look, if you are having trouble repurposing content or finding new content ideas, um, this might be a nice channel that you might want to introduce to yourself if you don't currently have video. So it's, it's cool to hear that you're experimenting in that area as well. It gives us a little bit of confidence that maybe we're on the right track too, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I think, I think in many ways it's actually more advanced than even stuff that we've done. Um, I think that, you know, one of the other things that we discovered about through the vehicle of SkillUp is speaking of repurposing content. So SkillUp is a educational podcast, but, and we did it for search, but what we discovered a nice sort of side benefit is it's incredibly uh, much easier to then go and recreate in different languages. So it's hard to have to recreate right. this moment we're having right now for a German audience and have it be authentic. Um, or for a Japanese audience and, you know, have it be authentic to what they care about and, and their, their listenership, um, trends. And so, um, skill up though, being a how to, you could take that core script, send it over to our marketers in Japan and have them record, totally. um, a version. So it became a very scalable way for us to create multilingual, cool. um, multilanguage yeah. podcasts. And the other thing that was nice about that is, um, you know, where some topics are completely saturated in English language podcasts, but there's right. wide open blue space in Spanish, for example. And so, you know, these regions are just in different places in terms of their adoption of um, podcasting as a tactic. And so it, it 
allowed us to sort of get in early into some of those markets without a huge uh, upfront investment. That's, that's, that's fascinating. So uh, like un- unpack that a little bit. So what, what are you seeing like worldwide? Are there specific countries that are kind of gravitating more towards podcasts as a format that you're seeing or continents? Yeah. So I think that we, um, it's a little anecdotal because it's, okay. it's what we're, we're sort of seeing from or hearing from marketers in those regions. Yeah. Um, but we're seeing sort of the download numbers to, to pick it up. So, um, Germany, uh, is one where we've launched our own unique, um, kind of editorial style podcast there. Um, Sydney, Australia okay. has, um, not only are they listener, like it's funny, you can see the trends in the listenership for the growth show. Um, because the growth show actually does quite well in, um, in Sydney or in Australia yep. and New Zealand. Uh, and so that's kind of a leading indicator of like, okay, they're listening to a North American host, um, podcast that must be some sort of an indicator of just the appetite for podcasts in that region. So right. we kind of use the shows to help us map out where the next listenership is. And, and that's what it showed us. It showed us Germany. It showed us, um, uh, Australia. It showed, um, obviously listenership in UK, um, and Ireland. Um, so that's kind of how we've been mapping it, but there are pockets that you just can try an experiment to see, you know, look at the charts and see, uh, where there's movement and try to spin up a show there. Well, the company as big as HubSpot seeing how we, you, you're continuing to experiment as you're launching new podcasts. Um, I think that's a big lesson for anyone out there that is listening is that you're not going to get it right on the first one. You've got to continue to try, right? And experiment and figure out what you're trying to learn from that experiment. Um, yeah. So I think that's and a big takeaway. That, I, I, think, I think that is a big takeaway. And I, I'm going back in my memory now to our early days of the growth show. And it's really important to have a little, a little like community of other podcasters who are, you know, kind of in your similar space, trying to figure this out together because there's not a lot of benchmark data that yep. you can find. And so the ability for us, I remember very vividly, we called up Buffer, um, which is a social media app. Um, and a guy named Kevin over there had launched a podcast and was really great about, you know, I'll show you our numbers if you if you show us yours. And we kind of compared, like, how are we doing week over week? Because there's it, it's a little bit of the Wild West in that you're trying to figure out, is this good? You know, like, are we growing at a fast enough pace? There's having those kind of communities of comparing notes and learning from each other are really important. And I think, frankly, I think agencies can really help in that respect too, because they see a lot of different approaches and stories. So speaking of stories, what podcasts, and this doesn't have to be related to this, but what podcasts are you currently like really in like consuming and just kind of jazzed about? I love like a longtime favorite of reply all. It's Um, just, I just think what they do is so smart and quirky and they sort of interpret the internet for they just find these incredible stories and underneath it. Um, and I think there's all the blockbuster ones. I think, you know, um, there's, uh, the recent one that just came out that I think it's called white, white parents or good, good white parents. Yes, um, um, it's on the same one that did Serial, or yeah, I think the producers were the same from Serial. Yeah. Right? yeah, and it's just a really interesting in-depth journalism uh, on yeah. a school district. 
Um, I am very, um, like a, a lush for, um, political podcasts. Cool. Um, so I'll, I'll run the whole gamut there. Yep. Um, but I think that, um, I think that, that having, I think what's important to me is having actually like an array of different types yep. and different, um, both different storytelling types from the narrative to the interview to, uh, just straightforward to, uh, and different topics as well. Um, I will say one thing that I, I thought was interesting is, um, so there was this whole rumor that started when everybody first started working from home in the COVID crisis, that podcasts were done for that once the commute goes, podcasting goes. And so I started hearing that chatter, you know, internally. So we kind of dug into it. And, um, what we learned was, um, that, uh, listenership, it's it's not it's not going down, but it is changing shape, right? There's no podcast, so people are listening in different ways. They're listening more on desktop, so that, that we're going back in time, like desktop listenership yeah. has completely risen yeah. as opposed to um, mobile phone. Yeah. But one of the tidbits that I picked up on it is um, there are two types of shows that are doing really well right now. One is new shows, especially new shows dealing with um, the COVID crisis um, or the for new shows about the um, racial injustice going on yeah. in the states right now, all those are understandably doing really well. The other type of podcast doing really well are escapist podcasts. Yeah. So think about things like Tiny Desk and yeah. um, you know concerts and things like that, where people just need to stop thinking about the world right now and they need a release. and And so I think if, if I, I'll have to. Look up these numbers to make sure I'm getting it right. Um, but I had heard that Tiny Desk had seen like growth of 120 percent in their oh, listenership wow. over oh. the COVID period as people tried to um, try to. It's funny; these kind of things always expose the extremes, right? The outliers, like it's always, and people always end up gravitating towards one end or the other. Um, fascinating, yeah, very, very interesting. <clears throat> yeah, it's interesting because podcasts actually have changed the way I consume like TV media. So I'll listen to a sports podcast or wait till the next day rather than sit at home and watch ESPN or whatnot. And same thing with like movies. Like I won't go read up about movies on Hollywood Reporter, but I'll wait for the podcast to come out about it. Yeah. And for me, like I I listen to the New York Times daily pod every day. I listen to the daily podcast and um, it's usually about obviously a hot topic that's going on. And I'll listen to that podcast before I read anything. And um, then I'll jump into, you know, the digital subscription or whatever that I have. But um, it's, and that can be a case study on podcasting itself <laughs> with the New York Times, because I think that as a medium almost turned around, it was a big part of their pivot towards digital and why they were able to capture yeah. like so many millennials. But we can talk about that on a whole nother podcast. <clears throat> cool. Um, well, any final thoughts? No, I'm, I think uh, there's a lot to, to know, digest right now. <laughs> um, cool. So, Megan, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you and where can they find The Growth Show? Yeah, totally. Um, so, The Growth Show, you can search and find. You can listen to it on Spotify. You can listen to it on anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, it's just search for The Growth Show and HubSpot. Um and uh, I would love it, actually. I should plug that a little bit harder if you subscribe to it. Um, I love it. It's... It, it's brought a lot of value into my own life and career. I think being able to talk to all these different people, as I'm sure this podcast has for you. So yeah, I'd love it if you give that a shot. And then uh, me, you can find me 
um, on Twitter at um, uh, Meg Keeney, which is my uh, maiden name. And um, yeah, feel free to join me too. Awesome. Cool. We'll plug all that into the show notes. Thanks so much for joining us today. This was awesome. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your time. Yeah, loved it. Thank you, guys. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Lights, Camera, Grow. Thanks to Megan for being on, and thanks to our team who put this together. If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and tell a friend about the Lights, Camera, Grow podcast. And for more information, head on over to tobyagency.co. Thanks for listening.